I've been uh, employed at UPS for 26 years. I drive from Albuquerque to Cuba, New Mexico. One day I was driving and I saw a stream of smoke rising from the air. So I pull over and I see a semi truck with its trailer, it's burning, there's a fire on the motor, and I just hear in my head, go, go, go. And I see this man halfway ejected out of the windshield. I'm thinking that I'm just gonna, you know, get this body off of off of the truck. So I pull him down and just drag him to the side of, of the rig and I start throwing dirt on the fire that I can see. I hear oh, it's big breath. And I'm like, this guy's this guy's alive. I grabbed the man and just started pulling him up the hill. A young man came down, um, just saw me probably yanking, uh, you know, just frantically trying to get him up. He started pulling him up. We'd end up getting him about halfway. I looked back and I see the cab just engulfed with flames. I saw some more men up on top of the hill. We just kind of made like a chain. Got him up to the top. He started moving a little bit. It was, it was like, man, this, this guy's a tough guy. So I started talking to him. I was like, hey man, um, my name's Frankie. I'm gonna be here with you, help's on the way. I see a ring on his finger where I'm holding his hand on his chest and I'm like, you gotta fight for your wife, you gotta fight for your kids. The medics did come, I think down from Cuba and uh, the paramedics pretty much took over from that point. They didn't get my statement. I just figured it just disappear. I get a call from my boss and he said, we have a recording here, and it's um, it's pretty cool. This is David Brenner. I just saw one of your employees, a man named Frankie Rubel, pull a man from a burning wreck. He's a hero. He saved this man's life. He directed all of us at what to do. It's an amazing situation. Thank you. We're all going to have times of need where we need help. It's amazing when you when you have a good support system or just random people just helping you out. It's just so important. Just loving God and understanding how he loves me has helped me to love others in that unconditional way. I think that fuels me for wanting to help others. We have opportunities every day to help, and I think we should. It's the little things that really help big to somebody else. Friends, that's, that's what we've been talking about these past few weeks, about escaping ordinary. Now, I highly doubt and I pray that you don't find yourself in the same situation that Frankie found himself in this next week. But there are needs all around you. And there are people who are hurting, and you could be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And that's what we've been talking about. See a need and then meet a need. If you want to outrun ordinary, if you want to escape ordinary, that's how you do it. Because ordinary people, they see needs all the time, and they look for somebody else to do what needs to be done. But we found in the book of Acts that the early church wasn't that way. And no one had ever seen a community of people like this before. A community of people that loved the way that this community of people loved. A community of people that were so generous to each other, who looked out for each other. And of course the result was, is that people wanted to be a part of it. 
When people really are living for Jesus Christ, when they're loving one another, forgiving one another, caring for one another, comforting one another, that's a community of people that people want to be a part of. I want you to see how fast the early church grew. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Peter got done preaching. The Bible says 3,000 were added to their number that day. Then in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, this isn't even counting women and children. Scholars estimate we're talking 15 to 20,000 people in the span of a very short time. And many scholars look at the growth of the early church and they say, listen, before persecution broke, broke, broke out in the city of Jerusalem, thus scattering Christians to the end of the world, until that happened, half The town of Jerusalem had given their lives to Jesus Christ. And I've read estimates of over 100,000 people. Now, can you imagine if you were in charge of this organization? You were in charge of this move of God. And you're trying to keep up with the blessing that God has done you. How overwhelmed you would feel. Because with great growth also comes great problems. Now, we know a little bit about this around here, don't we? This church was started back in 1999. 120 people left Hoffmantown Church as missionaries to start a church on the west side of town. And the first week we opened up our doors, over 300 people showed up. Well, I was certain they were just a bunch of looky-loos. They weren't all going to come back. But sure enough, the next week we grew, and then we grew some more. We outgrew Petroglyph Elementary School, went to LBJ Middle School. Next seven and a half years, we grew up to 1,600 people in attendance. Then we bought the property that we're on right now for the Riverside Campus. We opened our doors up in our own permanent facility. We went from 1,600 to 4,000 in one weekend. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. And I remember, I turned to the staff and I said, they're not coming back. This is just a bunch of looky-loos just checking us out. They've heard about the church. They were just coming one time. But the next week, 4,400 people showed up because it was Easter. That's how you have a higher attendance. You have Easter be the next week. And the church just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. Now we have seven different campuses all over the state of New Mexico and on that little island off the coast of Belize. God has done incredible things. But with great growth comes great problems. There's there's land that has to be purchased. There's buildings that need to be built. There's buildings that need to be remodeled. There's churches overseas that need to be planted. There's needs that need to be met. And so all of these things, you try to do them all on your own, you will become overwhelmed. Well, that's what's happening here with the disciples. Look at what happens. It says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God or to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
So they're growing rapidly. The disciples are trying to do everything they can to meet everybody's needs. It becomes overwhelming. One group of people feels like they're being neglected over another group of people. And so the disciples are like, I don't know what we should do. We're trying with everything we've got to get everything done. We just don't have enough time in the given day to get it accomplished. Now, here's what's interesting. In church world in general, this is how people who go to church think how the church runs. They think their job is to show up and support the staff by letting them know that they are for them. But in the back of their minds, they're saying, you know, we hired you to do the work of ministry, right? The pastor's responsible to marry and bury everybody, to counsel everybody, to meet with everybody, to meet every need in the congregation. And the congregation's job is to critique the pastor on how well he's doing. That is the typical church in the United States of America. How do I know that? Because I've been a part of churches like that before. First church I ever really got the opportunity to serve in, I think I've told you this one before, was in a little town of Uric, Missouri, population 511. It was a part of the metropolis of Creighton, Missouri, right down the street, a population of 310. And right down the street from them was Garden City, population of just over 2,000. We were a tiny little church, a little bit over 100 people coming for attendance. Largest church in the area, and they had recently hired me to be their student pastor and to be their director of worship ministries. Oh, friends, I want you to know something. I am a professional singer because I was paid to be a singer at this little church. I led the little hymns as well. Well, here's what happened. Nine months in, I'm having the time of my life. I'm learning a ton of things, and my pastor resigns from the church. He goes and takes a church in Kansas City. So the people of the church came to me and said, listen, we don't have anybody else to preach to us on the weekend. Would you mind being the interim pastor? Well, there's no better opportunity to learn how to preach than to get the chance to preach. And they didn't mind listening to me, so I didn't mind talking to them. And so I started to learn how to preach in that little church. Well, we started to grow kind of rapidly at that point in time. It was a pretty exciting time to be a part of that church. But let me explain to you how a typical service would go. I would get up there and I would lead in a couple of hymn songs. Dixie Waymire was on the piano playing those classics that we all love to sing. And then after we sang a couple of songs, we'd have a children's sermon because we didn't have a children's program. That was a lot of fun speaking with the kids in the room. And so they would come, come down. I'd do a little children's sermon. And then they would go back to their seats. And then I would lead in a couple of more songs. And then if I couldn't con somebody in during the week to do the special music. I don't know why we call it special music. But we had special music. If I couldn't find somebody to sing that song, I sang that song as well. And then I would get my, my Bible and I would preach for 30 35 minutes, then I would end in a closing song where people could make a decision for Jesus. Then I would dismiss, run to the back, and shake everybody's hand on their way out. I was absolutely exhausted. Of course, all the people that went to that little church, they thought it was their job to critique my job and how well I was doing. This is when I came to the conclusion that church is a lot like a football game. In a football game, there's 22 guys on the field in desperate need of rest, and there's 70,000 fans in desperate need of exercise. Do you understand what I'm talking about right now? That's pretty much the way the church functions. That's the way the church runs. So here's the disciples. They are absolutely overwhelmed with the demands of everything that God is doing, and they think they need to do it all themselves. And then one day, they come to the conclusion and said, this isn't right. 
this isn't right that we're trying to do this all ourselves. We need to allow other people to join in as well. Here's what's interesting about the New Testament. You ready for this? The same Holy Spirit that lives in me, guess what? Lives in you too. I know you think I have the red phone to God. I do not have the red phone to God. And if I did, I'd use it a lot more to tell God, tell God what you're doing wrong. That's what I would do. That's how I'd use that red phone. I'll tell you that right now. New Testament's been on this idea that every person who's a follower of Jesus has a divine call from God. That God has set aside you for a special purpose. And that there are things that you're supposed to accomplish. There's things that you're supposed to leverage. Every single person has been given spiritual gifts. And they are to leverage those spiritual gifts for something more than just making money. Now the average church in America, you ready for this one? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Did you know that? Average church in America, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Friends, you'll be glad to know that sagebrush is above average. We're at 30%. What does that mean? That means 7 out of 10 people you lock eyes with in the foyer don't do a doggone thing to help this church advance. But they're here. They've shown up. See, they don't get excited about this kind of stuff. Then when I talk about serving God and leveraging everything you are for the kingdom of God, they, they kind of walk away going, well, that was a real guilt trip right there. And they're missing the joy and the excitement and the adventure of being the hands and the feet of Jesus. They come up with a million reasons and a million excuses as to why they're not the right person to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Why they never get themselves involved in a ministry. They say, I'm too old. Or I'm too young. Or I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too rich. I'm too poor. I'm too sinful. I've messed up too much in the past. Therefore, I'm disqualified. We come up with all these excuses. And then we wonder why we're bored. We wonder why we just feel like every day bleeds into the next and we just live this ordinary existence. Here God has given us these tremendous gifts and we don't want to use them for anything more than making a buck for ourselves. And I just wonder, how does God feel about all that? Is God disappointed in us for that? Then let me try to illustrate this in a way that you can understand it. Let's say you get front row seats to the NCAA basketball championship. Now that is incredible that you got those seats. And you're sitting there with these two tickets, and you said to yourself, you said, self, you said, yeah, who should I take with me? Because you know your wife could care less about going to the NCAA basketball championship. So you start thinking through your group of friends, and you say, you know what, so-and-so would love to go to this game. So you call them on the phone and say, listen, got two tickets, front row seats, NCAA championship game. Do you want to go? And they say, oh, yeah, I'm fired up. So you show up to the game. You get there early, and there's a spirit of anticipation and excitement in the room. You can't wait for tip-off. But you kind of notice that your friend's not really engaging in any of it. Kind of playing around with his phone quite a bit. Not even looking around and seeing what's really going on. Not taking any pictures or any video. This is a memory he'll have for the rest of his life. And he seems to be not interested in it. So the game begins. You're screaming. You're going crazy. You're rooting on the team that you want to win. And your friend is just sitting there. You're like, you got to be kidding me right now. Get up. We're on the front row of the national championship basketball game. Show some enthusiasm. That they're just bored to death. Halftime, you're eating, and you're like, hey, man, is it, you're enjoying yourself? Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's wonderful. But every once in a while, you notice they keep checking their watch. I mean, over and over again, they're checking their watch to see what in the world's going on. You're thinking, you got to be kidding me right now. We're at the NCAA championship game. 
And then the score is tied. There's five minutes left to go in the game. And your friend turns to you and says, can we leave early? You're like, what? Leave early? Why would you want to leave early? Well, I want to get out before the traffic is an issue. This sound like anybody you know? We come to church and we should be excited and we should be enthusiastic. We should have this attitude that says, hey, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. Yes, Lord. Yes, use me. But we're bored to death. And like, oh, here he goes again, guilting everybody into serving God. That's what he's doing. He's guilting everybody into serving God. Here we go again. I've heard this a million times before. And you keep doing this. And how do I know you do this? Because I see you do this. You're like 20 more minutes and we can go home. We've got the hour of obligation taken care of, all right? And as soon as I say amen, you get up and you leave. Because you don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to really be a part of this church. You just want to go to church. You don't want to be the church. So you run out to your car as quick as you can because you want to beat traffic. Because getting out of here is the priority of your moment of your day. And I just wonder, is God disappointed? You know, the eyes of the Lord search throughout the whole earth looking for someone who's fully devoted to him. And we have this opportunity of a lifetime to leverage everything that we are for all that he is. And then we just walk around like we're just absolutely bored to death. So I, I've got to ask you again, now that we're at the midway point of this little series. Do you just want to be ordinary? I mean, is this as good as it gets? Is this as good as we get together as a group of people? 30% is as good as it's going to get? This is the impact that we want to make? What could we do? What could we accomplish? And wouldn't you love to be used by God in such a way that you've never been used by him before? Some of you could care less. But some of you are leaning in. You're saying, okay, Todd, you got me interested. I'm tired of the routine. I'm tired of the boring. I'm tired of the plain vanilla. I want to be used by God. But how do I figure this out? How do I find my sweet spot? Well, there's three questions that you need to have an answer to. You ready for what they are? What are you good at? What are you good at? What do people say, man, this person's really good at this? And what are you passionate about? I mean, my goodness, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're passionate about it. So what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And how can you leverage that for the kingdom of God? Okay, you get it? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? Wherever it intersects, that is your sweet spot. So how do you use that? For the kingdom of God. Because God is the one who put that within you to advance the kingdom of God with. Let me, let me give you some illustrations about someone in their sweet spot. Jim Gaffigan is a comedian. I think he's drop-dead hilarious. If you ever get a chance to watch a Jim Gaffigan special, they are drop-dead funny. And they're pretty clean, to be honest with you. Really good stuff. Now, there's a guy who's passionate about comedy, and he's really good with comedy. He is in... His sweet spot. Let me give you another one. Tom Cruise. Now, I like Tom Cruise. I, I think he's a really good actor. I've liked just about every Tom Cruise movie except for that Jerry Maguire movie. I hated that Jerry Maguire movie. I thought that was the dumbest movie ever. I can't believe he was in the Jerry Maguire movie. I mean, that was such a fake out, wasn't it? I'm going there thinking it's a sports film. It's a chick flick. You understand what I'm saying? That messed me up. 
And that you complete me, you head me at hello. Those are the dumbest lines I've ever heard in my entire life. Hated that movie. But I like, I like Tom Cruise for the most part. That last one he was in, that Top Gun 2, that was a ripoff, a Star Wars storyline if I've ever seen it. But I still enjoyed it an awful lot. All right? I, that guy is good at making movies, passionate, sweet spot, right? Let me give you another one, Napoleon Dynamite. That guy's a good dancer. I don't know what you, that's one of the most iconic scenes in movie history right there when he starts dancing on that talent show floor. He's good at dancing. He's passionate about it. That's his sweet spot right there. Let me give you another one. Patrick Mahomes, quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. Notice who he's playing. You can see that pass is going right into Travis's hands for a touchdown. Just want to make sure. I don't know how we picked that picture out of all the pictures, but that's the one we chose right there. He, he's, he's, he's good at football. I don't know if you knew that or not. Scored more touchdowns than anybody in NFL history through his first 75 games, and Patrick Mahomes hadn't even played game 75. He's on game 72. He scores touchdowns a lot. He is good at football. He's passionate about football. He's got a sweet spot. Now, what are all those people missing? The last piece. They still haven't figured out how to leverage it for the kingdom of God. And how many times have you said, man, if that guy was a Christian, or if that gal was a Christian, boy, they, they could make a huge impact. I mean, God has placed them in such a powerful position of influence, and if they would just use the gifts and talents and abilities that God's given them, and they would give glory to God, wow, what a difference they could make. Hey, let's do ourselves a favor. Let's not worry about somebody else. Let's look at ourselves. Because you got gifts, talents, and abilities, and you have a sphere of influence. And think of the impact you could make. So i got to ask you again, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? And how do you leverage that for the things of God? How do you leverage that for the kingdom of God? You good at fixing stuff? How do you leverage it for the kingdom of God? You a good listener? How do you leverage it for the kingdom of God? You good with finances? How could you leverage that to help somebody else along the way who finds themselves in, in great debt and they need someone to come alongside them and help them put a budget together? Heard a story this past week about a CPA. His wife just had their fourth child. All three of their ch first three children all weighed about seven pounds. But the last kid came in at nine pounds, eight ounces. Well, they're measuring the kid. They're weighing the kid. And they finally say, this, this baby is nine pounds, eight ounces. Well, he's a CPA. He turns to his wife. He's so excited. He says, that's 36% more baby. That's what he said. That's a guy who should be working with numbers, right? I'm so glad that we have so many people in our church that decided to serve God in their sweet spot. Our, our kids' workers are absolutely phenomenal. And they try to make certain that every child, when they come in for that one hour, that it's the best hour of their week. Can you imagine if our kids' workers hated kids? Now, that wouldn't be fun now, would it? It's like you're walking down the hallway and the kid's going, I don't want to go. Oh, they're mean. They're mean. And they're like, Oh, that kid's back? Oh, we thought we got rid of you. Sit down and shut up. Aren't you glad we don't have that in our kids' planet, right? Or you got guest service people. Guest service folks do a great job making every person feel welcome. Aren't we thankful that they're all extroverts and not introverts? 
Can you imagine a team of guest service people who are all introverts? Are they looking at me? Are they looking at me? I think they're looking at me. They're coming over. They're coming over. That, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be so good, would it? I'm glad we have small group leaders who care about people growing in their relationship with Jesus. I, I'm thankful for the student leaders who care about teenagers going through the toughest years of their life. And they stand in the gap and they mentor these kids and they're there for those kids and they're there to help them any way they possibly can. I'm thankful for the pit stop volunteers, the gearheads of our church who fix the cars of single moms and the elders. I'm glad they're good at what they do. Because the last thing I want is somebody driving off and the wheels fall off their car. You see what I'm saying? Maybe what you're good at doesn't fit a ministry of the church. How many times have you looked at the ministries of the church and you said, well, there's nothing here I'm really passionate about. And nothing really here that I'd be good at. So I, I guess, Todd, this message doesn't apply to me. I guess I'm off the hook. No, you're not. Whatever you're good at, whatever you're passionate about, whatever it is, whether it fits in the ministries of the church or not, you've got to figure it out. And you've got to use it to advance the kingdom of God. I read this past week about this ministry called the HIM, H-I-M, Hairdressers in the Marketplace. They host a, a monthly day they call a day of beauty when women come in and they give them haircuts and they do their nails and whatever else women do when they get together. They do those types of things. And they do it in, in nursing homes. They do it in homeless shelters. They do it for the working poor. They don't come in with hammers and nails to build homes. They don't come in with pots and pans to work a soup kitchen. No, they come to bring a day of joy and a day of beauty to those women. And they tell them about Jesus. And the reason that they've come that day is because of their love for Jesus and their love for them. That ministry has ministered to thousands and thousands of women over the years. And it didn't happen in the church. No, no, the founder of it is a woman named Teresa Cox. She said, I, I tried to volunteer in the church, couldn't find anything that fit me. I, I tried different ministries. Nothing excited me. I, didn't, I just didn't feel like it fit. And I would go home and I would be so frustrated. And I'd say, God, you gave me this ability to do hair. You gave me this ability to do nails, to make women feel pretty. How can I leverage this for your kingdom? And it was out of that struggle of figuring this out that she started this ministry. And so many women have been blessed as a result. You realize, don't you, that the pit stop ministry we have here, that the whole reason we did that was because of men? I mean, let's face it. Men, men for some reason, they don't want to work in the kids' area. They don't want to work in the, in the student area. They don't want to be a greeter for the most part. I wish they would, but they, they say, no, oh, it's not really something because it's not manly enough, you know. And so I, I was listening, and this church was doing this thing where it was a, a car service ministry. And they were doing it for single moms and for the elderly. And I thought, that's perfect for, for, for gearheads. And there's gearheads that are guys, gearheads that are girls. I thought, man, this is perfect. Because they're good at this, and they're passionate about this. And then they can feel the smile of God upon them as they leverage that for the kingdom of God. So you know what? The church can buy the parts. And, and we'll have people come to church, and they can get a stamp. And when they get the stamp, they'll be available to help, help fix their car. And in this past weekend, we had pit stop. We had 40 gearheads out there working on tons of cars, putting smiles on single moms and the elderly. And they all drove off very happy at the free service and the love of Jesus Christ. 
And so gearheads get to feel the favor of God, get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Friends, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? How do you leverage it for the kingdom of God? 1 Peter 4.10 says, God's given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Tell you what, when you use your gifts and your passion and your abilities in this way, you will feel the smile of God upon you. And everybody wins. You win. The person you ministered to wins. The church wins. And most importantly, the kingdom of God is advanced. I was reading a book called Messy Spirituality by Mike Yanconelli. And in the book, he talks about Daryl. Daryl was a volunteer for the student ministry. And he said to the student pastor, listen, I'll volunteer. I'll get to know the kids. I'll be a small group leader. But don't ever put me on the stage. I never want to be a part of the program. And they said, fine, there's a place for you here, Daryl. We love you. We're glad that you're a part. Thanks for investing in kids. Well, once a month, that student ministry would go to a nursing home where they would put on a service. And Daryl said, camp me out. I don't want anything to do with a nursing home. Those places creep me out. I'm never going to go to one of those. Well, there was one particular month when the flu was super bad. And the volunteers were all very sick. And so they called Daryl on the phone. They said, listen, we don't want to cancel the service. I need you to come. Can you help us out? And Daryl again said, I'll come. But I'm not going to do anything other than help you set up and tear it down. And make sure all the kids get back home safely. But don't put me on that stage. I don't want to do anything. They said, all right, Daryl, we appreciate it. So Daryl shows up, helps him set up. It's now time for the nurses to wheel all the elderly in for the service. And that takes some time. Daryl's standing on the back wall. And they wheeled one man in over to his right, another man in over to his left. And Daryl's standing there with his hands to his side watching the service. And as the service began, the man over to his left grabbed him by the hand and held on to his hand. Daryl didn't know what to do. He'd never had anything like that happen before in his life. Kind of looked at the man, and he was just kind of shocked. And the man wouldn't let his hand go, even though Daryl made it pretty apparent he didn't want to hold his hand. The man just kept holding his hand. And so he kind of looked down and kind of glanced down while the songs were going on. And the man's jaw was gaping down. He had this lifeless stare as if he couldn't see, he couldn't hear. And Daryl said, something happened to me. It's like God began to break my heart for this person. And I began to feel a love for someone that I'd never met before. I felt compassion for someone I'd never felt before. And so he said, I just kept holding the guy's hand. For the next hour, I just held his hand. And then it was time to tear down. And the student pastor said, hey, Daryl, we've we got to tear down. You, you've got to let go of the guy's hand. And Daryl didn't want to let go of his hand. In his mind, he said, I've been forgotten. I've been left behind before. I don't want to do it to this guy. And so he, he leaned down and he whispered. He said, I'm so sorry, but I have to go. But I promise you, I'll come back next week. And with that, the man squeezed his hand and let go. And then they wheeled him away. But Daryl couldn't wheel away the memory of this man. All that next month, that's all he could think about was going back to that nursing home. And so sure enough, he's standing on the back wall once again. They park one guy to one side. They park the other guy to the other side. And as soon as the service starts, the man here in the wheelchair, the same man, grabs Daryl's hand again. Now we find out the man's name is Mr. Weeks. A Leeks. Oliver Leeks. He's just holding on to Daryl's hand. And they held hands for the entire service. And at the end, Daryl said, I'm so sorry. I've got to go. I love you. And he thought, where in the world did that come from? I love you. I'll see you next month. And with that, the elderly man squeezed his hand and let go of him. This went on week after week, month after month. We're now six months into this. 
Daryl comes in, helps set everything up, stand on the back wall like he always is, and who's he waiting for? He's waiting for Mr. Leaks. And he doesn't show up. But Daryl wasn't too concerned because it takes a long time for the nurses to wheel everybody into the room to enjoy the service. So he thought maybe something was going on, nothing a big deal. He'll be wheeled in soon enough. But he didn't come. So he ran over to the nurse's station. And he said, where's Mr. Leakes? And then they took Daryl by the hand. And they walked him down the hall to the room that he was in. Daryl stood there in the doorway. He said, here I am, 40 years old, but I've never been by any, near anybody who is ever on the verge of dying. His breathing was uneven. You could hear a gurgle that was happening in his lungs. They said he didn't have much longer to live. So Daryl pulled a chair up next to his bed, held on to Mr. Leek's hand, but Mr. Leeks didn't respond. Daryl said there were so many things that he wanted to say, but he just couldn't get any words out. So he just sat there for the next hour, hour and a half. Finally, the student pastor came and said, we got to go. We've got everything packed up. And Daryl leaned over and he whispered in Mr. Leek's ear. He said, I love you, Mr. Leeks, but I've got to go. And with that, Mr. Leeks squeezed his hand and let go. And now the tears were just flowing. He was a mess. He's trying to get out the door. There's a woman at the door. They collide into each other. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. She, she tells him who, is, who she is. She says, I'm Mr. Leakes' granddaughter. And we've been close all these years. And I come and I visit him all the time. And when I knew that he took a turn for the worst, I, I just want you to know I've been here by his side almost 24-7. She said, he, you know, people say he doesn't talk, but he talks to me. She said a couple of nights ago, he, he was very much aware of what was going on. His eyes lit up. He sat up in his bed, and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said this, tell Jesus goodbye from me. Well, she was shocked. She's like, what in the world is going on? And then he just laid back in his bed. And, and so she gained her composure, and then she walked over, and, and she said, Grandpa, I'm not going to tell Jesus goodbye from you. You're going to be with Jesus in just a few more days. You're going to go and you're going to be there. You can say hello to him. And that's when Mr. Leakes opened up his eyes. And with a mischievous grin, he said, I know. But there's a man who comes and visits me once a month. Tell him goodbye. Because I might not get the chance to. So she went to the nurse's station to find out what was going on. She found out about Daryl and how he holds his hand during the service. She said, I want to thank you. You know, I never thought that Jesus could be mistaken for a 40-year-old chubby bald man. But I don't think he has a problem being mistaken for you. Thank you for being Jesus to my grandfather. And Oliver Leagues passed away the next morning peacefully. Now, I want you to think about that. If a reluctant follower of Jesus can be used to be his hands and his feet, what could he do through you if you would just make yourself available? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? And how can you leverage that for the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're bored with life. And the reason we're bored is because we're not doing much with the gifts, talents, and abilities that you've given us. We don't wrestle with these questions. 
my goodness, we are on this earth on average 28,000 days. And yet we don't even take a day to consider what we're good at, what we're passionate about, and how we can use it for you. I pray that would change. I pray we'd step out of our comfort zone. I pray we'd stop making excuses, that you would stir something within our heart and our soul that we know this is why we were made. This is why we were created, to do ministry like this. And help us, God, to have the courage to see a need and to meet it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.